with us. We've been going through this book now for several weeks, but Acts is a history of early Christianity, of what uh, the early Christians did after Jesus uh, was crucified and then rose from the dead, but before he ascended into heaven, before he resumed his place uh, in heaven, he gave his followers a mission. And that mission, we find it in Acts 1, that mission is to be his witnesses. So in other words, to bear witness to, to tell other people about Jesus and what he has done. And he tells us that would happen in three phases, at least in the book of Acts, that phase one, they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem. Phase two, they would be his witnesses in Judea and Samaria. And then phase three, they would be his witnesses to the end of the earth. And then he sent his Holy Spirit to empower them for that mission. Now, uh, we la- last week, we witnessed the brutal death and execution of Stephen. But one of the things that we saw is that God uses the death of Stephen, as horrific as it was and as painful as it was, God uses that to propel his church outward into phase two, outward into mission. And at least one of the things we learn, right, is that, that God takes, just like he did with Jesus, God takes what is wrong and horrible and bad and in his providence uses it for his good purpose. And we saw that in the life of Stephen. Uh, and this morning, uh, we're going to meet a man named Philip as he now embarks on phase two, as he carries the good news of Jesus into the next phase of this mission. So let's, uh, let's pick the story up in Acts uh, chapter 8. I'm going to start reading in verse 4. <clears throat> I'm going to read down through verse 25. Now those who were scattered went about proclaiming the good news of the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, 
because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, proclaiming the good news to many villages of the Samaritans. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. May he bless the reading and the hearing, now the preaching of his word. Amen. C.S. Lewis uh, may be a name that many of you are familiar with. He wrote a a famous series of children's books uh, called The Chronicles of Narnia, which some of you are reading right now. Um, It's a a fun series to read. Uh, C.S. Lewis was asked to give an address to college students at Oxford University. Uh, And when he did, he spoke on a phenomenon that uh, all of us, are familiar with. It's a, it's a desire or a pull that all of us have felt at one time or another. And it's the desire, he, he calls it the inner ring, right? This desire to be a part of what in the 90s we called the in crowd. I don't know what you call it now, but um, right? This desire to be in, to be a part of the we, to be influential, to matter, right? Uh, so Lewis says for some that it's Large lighted rooms and champagne and scandals about peers and politicians. And for others, it's the sacred little attic or studio, heads bent together, the fog of tobacco smoke and the delicious knowledge that we, we four or five huddled all beside this stove, we are the people who know. Lewis goes on to say that that desire for the inner ring is actually a wellspring of many other desires that we face. That uh, many of the the desires that we would commonly call sin actually find probably their root in this desire. Uh, Lewis even says that um, many many a man who has not been very bad by this desire will do some, some very bad things. And then he points out something interesting about this desire and really all desires gone awry. He says, it is the very mark of a perverse desire that it seeks what is not to be had. It's the very mark of a, of a desire gone astray that it actually seeks what is not to be had. The desire to be inside the invisible line illustrates this rule. As long as you are governed by that desire, you will never get what you want. Right, so let's, let's stop for just a second and let's talk about our desires. Right, we are, we are a people of emotions, we are a people of desires, and, and many of our desires are often for good things. Right, evil does not have the power to create, only God has that power. And so what evil can do, though, is take those good things that God has created, say in this case, uh, friendship, right? And, and twist that and make it into an inordinate desire, a desire that has gone awry, something that instead, an ultimate desire. So rather than our lives being governed by God, now they are governed by a certain desire. And Lewis says that when that happens, 
we will never actually get what we want. Right. We'll we'll be like we'll be like people trying to fill up a, a sieve with water. It just won't hold. He goes on. Uh, you're trying to peel an onion. Uh, and as if you succeed, there will be nothing left. The, the circle cannot have from within the charm it had from the outside. By the very act of admitting you, it has lost its magic. The members of this circle will be no more interesting than your old friends. Why should they be? You weren't looking for virtue or kindness or loyalty or humor or learning or wit or any of the things that can really be enjoyed. You merely wanted to be in. And that pleasure cannot last. And I say all of that because I think it describes this man that we meet in this passage, Simon the Magician. Uh, that uh, he uses magic, he uses sorcery uh, to gain a hearing, to gain influence, to be someone who is important. Uh, and what we're going to see today is that we, that desire cannot exist alongside Jesus. Uh, that the good news about Jesus actually dethrones us, unseats us. And so I want to look at this passage kind of in two ways. Uh, you'll notice in verse 4 and in verse 25, uh, it talks about the good news going into Samaria. So that's kind of the frame for the passage. And then at the center of it, you have the story about Philip and Simon and Peter. So we're going to start with Simon the magician. We're, we're going to start with the picture in the middle. Uh, and we're going to see that the gospel dethrones us. Uh, and that the gospel reveals our hearts. And then we're going to move out to the frame and we're going to see that the gospel breaks boundaries uh, and that the gospel brings us joy. And so those are the four things we're going to look at. Uh, let's talk about what it means when, when I say that the gospel dethrones us. In saying that, I do not mean that you and I must put Jesus on the throne. Jesus is already on the throne. Jesus is already the king of the universe. Whether, whether I recognize it or not, whether you recognize it or not, uh, he is already there, right? But what happens is, is we're kind of like Goldilocks and the three bears, right? We, 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 like, uh, we kind of like sneak into the house like Goldilocks and try to put our bottoms in as many chairs as possible, right? That's what, that's what we try to do, right? We're trying to, we're trying to enthrone ourselves, and that's what Simon is doing in this passage, right? He's trying to be the center of... Uh, the universe. And so let's look at verse 9. As, as Philip takes the good news about Jesus into Samaria, he comes to a city, uh, a city under the influence of a man named Simon. Verse 9 tells us this. There was a man named Simon who had previously or had been practicing magic in that city and had amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. Well, that tells you what Simon is after right there. The whole purpose uh, of using magic and sorcery, uh, which the Bible considers um, out of bounds, uh, Simon's whole purpose in using the magic arts is to draw attention to himself. Okay? Um, and they all paid attention to him. Now, does that, does that phrase not capture so much 
of the longing of your heart. They all paid attention to him. I mean, isn't maybe maybe you're of an age now when you just don't care. Um, but how how desperately do we want people to notice us? I just I wish they would pay attention to me. I wish I wish he would pay attention to me. I wish she would like me. I mean, what a what a poignant phrase for capturing the struggle of our hearts just to to matter. Oh, that we would just be important. Oh, that we would just matter. Well, Simon thinks that he's found that uh, in this city, and and uh, he is amazing people with the work that he is doing. Uh, and it says that they all paid attention to him. It says it twice. And he even has kind of garnered a reputation for himself, even almost a, a divine title, right? The power of the God who is called great, right? Simon, Simon is gaining a following and he's loving it. And then Philip shows up. And whereas Simon is all about Simon, Simon talks about Simon, Simon does works that point to Simon. Philip isn't talking about Philip. Philip is talking about Jesus. Philip is talking about God's kingdom. And Philip is doing miracles, casting out demons, healing disabled people that point people to Jesus and point people to his kingdom. So right there you have a a conflict. All of these people are enthralled with Simon and Simon loves it. But then Philip comes along and he's talking about Jesus. And all of a sudden... All of these people uh, begin listening to Philip. They hear about this Jesus and they see what Jesus is doing in their midst and they believe. They trust in Jesus because of Philip's word. And interestingly, uh, it even says that Simon believes and is baptized. Uh, Though I think we're going to see that Simon's belief uh, is really in word only, that it's not uh, it is not a true faith. But this is what the good news about Jesus does. It dethrones us. It unseats us. Simon finds himself unseated from the position of prominence that he had because you can't hold the throne and Jesus hold the throne at the same time. To trust in Jesus is to realize that you are not the center of the universe, that Jesus is the center of of the universe, and he's really the only one who can hold the center. Uh, not only does the gospel dethrone us, but it also reveals our hearts. It reveals our true condition. And so, uh, what we see is the the apostles uh, that are at the mother church in Jerusalem. They hear about what's happening in Samaria, and they send a delegation down to check it out. Uh, they send out two of their leading people, uh, names that uh, you may be familiar with, Peter and John. Peter and John go down to see exactly what's going on in Samaria. Uh, and here we have a, a bit of an issue. Uh, the strange thing happens that when they arrive, they realize that these people have been, they believe and have been baptized, but they have not received the Holy Spirit. And why that's an issue is because way back in Acts chapter 2, when the, the, the first time that the Holy Spirit is poured out, Peter says there in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, that if you repent and believe... Uh, you will receive two things, 
One, the forgiveness of your sins. And two, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we have a bit of a quandary here because these people have believed and yet they have not received the Holy Spirit. And this has led uh, particularly our Pentecostal friends to say, well, that's actually how the normal Christian life works. It's a two stage deal. Uh, you repent and believe and are baptized and there you have your sins forgiven. But then you have to receive a second baptism Right. There's kind of a second level Christianity. You receive the Holy Spirit. That's a different baptism. And they would point to Acts chapter eight and to a couple of other places in Acts. Uh, Now, I'm going to disagree with that position. I don't think that Christianity is a two stage deal. I think it's a one stage deal. You repent. You believe the spirit regenerates your heart, causes the new birth and fills you. And we'll talk more about that in just a minute. But. What I want us to see right here is that when Peter and John show up uh, and they lay their hands on these new believers and the Holy Spirit comes upon them in what was probably like a mini Pentecost. What does Simon do? He makes a power grab. Right. Simon's Simon sees what happens and it reveals his heart. He wants he wants to pay Peter money. So that he can have the ability to dispense the Holy Spirit with his hands. Right? His reaction is not one of gratitude. Thank you, Lord, for saving me from my son. His reaction is not, oh, I can't wait to tell other people about Jesus. His response is, ooh, I can use this. If I had the ability to lay my hands on people, I could give out this Holy Spirit and then people would look at me. That's what Simon is after. That's where Simon really is. And so Peter uh, is rather stern with Simon. You see, Simon, uh, Simon thought he could buy God's gift. Simon thought he could buy grace. But you can't buy grace. Because grace is free. And if you buy grace, it's no longer grace. And not only that, but Simon wanted to buy God's gift so that he could use it for himself. Simon is like a politician uh, who uses God's name or the Bible uh, to further his own political ends. Right. Uh, Simon. And by the way, I'm not I don't have a particular politician in mind. That happens on uh, both sides of the aisle and from the local all the way up to the national level. But here's what we see. God will not be used. God is not a magic trinket. He is not a lucky rabbit's foot. He will not he will not be used. Um, So Simon uh, is confronted by Peter. Peter uh, Peter confronts Simon with some really stern language. Actually, the words that Peter uses, uh, they echo covenant curses from the Old Testament uh, in a place like Deuteronomy twenty nine. Uh, And what Simon says, I mean, the translation that that I read uh, in verse 20 says, may your silver perish with you. But um, it's a little bit it's a little bit harder than that. Uh, J.B. Phillips translation is a good one. What Peter says is to hell with you and your money. That's what that's what Peter tells Simon, because that's the direction that Simon is heading. There's a reason we call curse words, curse words, right, that. That uh, Peter is telling Simon that he is under a curse if he does not retreat. 
that he is bound up in the bond of his envy, uh, in the bonds of his sin, that he is in a dangerous position. And Peter warns him sternly. Peter says, uh, your heart is not right before God. But then he gives him a way out, as you notice. He says, so repent, turn, turn from this wickedness so that the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. Did you catch that? What's what's the core of Simon's problem? The intent of his heart. His heart is the issue. You see, Simon had done all the right outward things. He believed he'd been baptized. He had joined this. This group of believers, if we were using our own southern evangelical wording, we would say he had prayed the prayer and walked the aisle, right? Simon outwardly had done exactly what he was supposed to do. But the intent of his heart was evil. Uh, Whether he intentionally misled Philip or not, it doesn't really matter. What matters is that his heart was not right before God, he had made a false profession, as the Puritans used to say. He'd said, I believe. But then when that faith was put to the test, turns out that it wasn't true after all. And that still happens today. Right. That we we have to go beyond mere words and outward symbols uh, to what's going on in the heart, at least as best we can. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 13. He tells a story about four kinds of soil. Uh, and that only one of the four actually receive the word, receive the seed and bear fruit. Uh, other soils, uh, like, the, like the seed planted in thorny soil, right? It, it looks good initially, uh, but then it gets choked out by the cares of this world. That's Simon. And God's grace reveals this to us so that we wouldn't be like Simon, so that we would turn, so that we would seek forgiveness for our wayward hearts. Because I don't know that any of us uh, could look at Simon and say, well, at least that's not me. Um, We sang it at the beginning of worship, right? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. God's grace reveals our hearts to us so that we will run to him. Not like Simon. Simon, uh, when Peter rebukes him, it's pretty clear that Simon actually isn't repentant. He doesn't cry out for repentance. He just says, oh, please ask God that none of what you just said will happen to me. Right. What, what Simon is worried about is getting caught. Uh, Simon, Simon, Simon feels bad because he got caught. Simon is not truly repentant toward God. Um, so just like Simon, we like to be at the center. We want the spotlight. We want influence. We want to be known. Uh, and, and God's grace dethrones us so that we would look on a better king. Right. So that we would look on a king who did not use his position or power to protect himself, but rather he gave it away so that we could be drawn in. 
Do you, do you know that Jesus? Do you know the King who selflessly yields himself that we might be brought in? That's what Simon needed to know. But in third, we also see in this story the gospel breaking down barriers. So let's zoom back out and let's look at the frame. Uh, we're told that those who scattered went about preaching the word. And then Philip, he took the good news to a place called Samaria. Now, <clears throat> on paper, that doesn't seem like a big deal to you and me. Uh, Samaria was the region just north of Jerusalem. And so we might think, well, that was just a natural next step. And that's where Jesus said to go. And indeed it was. But you need to know that behind this simple sentence, there is a thousand year history of ethnic divide. We think we know something of ethnic tensions in the United States. But it is nothing compared to what happened between the Jews and the Samaritans. For a thousand years, right, a thousand years prior to this moment, ten tribes had separated from the tribe of Judah. And they'd built their own worship site in Samaria to rival Jerusalem. And and from that point forward, the history just got worse and the blood got badder. And to the point that in Jesus's day, uh, in this in this first century, a Jew who was traveling south to Jerusalem. Now, the shortest path, right, the, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. But the Jews would go around Samaria. They would go hours out of the way to go to Jerusalem. That was how much they hated the Samaritans. They considered them traitors and half-breeds. They were, they were not, uh, as, as we find out in John chapter 4, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. But Jesus did. And here we see Philip doing the same. That as Philip heads down into Samaria, he's walking into this thousand-year history of strife and tension. And as he does, he's taking this good news about Jesus, that Jesus has come, right? That the, that the kingdom is not just reserved for Jews in Jerusalem, but it's for the Samaritans as well. That good news is not just for the Jews, but it's also for the Samaritans. That God is bringing the kingdom to them. That they are being brought in, right? So the, so the good news is for the outsiders. The outsiders are being brought in. This is a, this is a groundbreaking historical moment. Uh, and that's why I think that because this is a unique moment in biblical history, that's why I think you have this two-stage Holy Spirit being poured out later. I don't think this is normative for the whole Christian life. I would disagree with my Pentecostal friends because I think what's happening here is a new age. The kingdom is breaking into new territory. We're going to see it happen again in Acts chapter 10 with a Gentile named Cornelius. In the same event, another mini Pentecost happens. And what's happening is the Holy Spirit is saying it's time for a new day. And it's really fitting that two Jews, Peter and John, Philip actually is Jewish too, but, but Peter and John are as Hebrew as it gets. In fact, John had asked Jesus to rain fire down from heaven on a village, on a Samaritan village, because they didn't respond to Jesus the right way. So now John gets to see Jesus not raining down judgment from heaven, but raining down blessing 
and mercy and peace. John gets to be a part of that. John gets to be a part of the, the gospel breaking down ethnic barriers. That's, that's what the gospel does. And we're going to see it happen again and again and again. And then finally, and, I, and I'll finish here, there's a fourth thing about the gospel that we see in this passage. And we see it in, in verse 8. It says this, There was much joy in that city. The gospel brings joy. That as Philip takes the good news to outsiders, to the downcast, to the downtrodden, did you notice did you notice who his audience was? He was healing disabled people. He was casting demons out of possessed people. Philip goes to the outsiders and tells them that Jesus has welcomed them in. And as he does that, and as he does these miracles, it brings joy. And then Peter and John, uh, once they finish up in this city, as they head back up to Jerusalem, do you, can you see what they're doing? They're doing the same thing, right? They've caught Philip's vision. They're stopping at all these villages, maybe that Philip hasn't hit, and they're telling them the good news because the gospel brings joy. Friend, do you know joy? Do you know the joy of knowing Jesus, this King and Savior who welcomes in the outsider and who makes all things new? That's an invitation. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your good news. We thank you for bringing in those who are outside, for rescuing the downtrodden, for redeeming the sinful. Lord, would you dethrone us? Would you remind us that we are not the center of the universe? We are not the king. We are not the queen. But we are in you. We have in you all that we need. That we have acceptance before you, Lord God, because of what Jesus has done. I pray that this would bring joy to our hearts. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and re respond to God's goodness by returning to him uh, his gifts. If you are giving this morning in person, the offering plates are out in the gathering area. You can also give online or, or via text. Let's, uh, let's sing the doxology together in response to what we've heard. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Receive God's blessing. May grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit be and abide with each one of you. And God's people said, Amen.